As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. <laughs> First time in like 270 episodes, I put a V in front of Castle Car. I'm sorry. All right. Hello and welcome to Castle of Horror, the show dedicated to horror movies and awesomeness. This week we continue our Flatliners retrospective with a bonus episode, the 1990 film Jacob's Ladder, directed by Adrian Lyne. Bear in mind, if you haven't seen today's movie, we're going to be talking about it from the perspective of horror fans who have seen it. So warning, spoilers ahead from Denver, Colorado. I'm your host, Jason Henderson, author of the upcoming Young Captain Nemo series from Fievel and Friends Macmillan Books. With me from Los Angeles, Adam Foschko is director of Story development for Activision's Call of Duty, Skylanders, and Destiny franchises, including story consultant on the brand new, recently released Destiny 2. Say hello, Adam. Hi, how are you tonight? Good to be back. I am so excited to be back for a third Flatliners movie, even if we had to invent one and sort of just corral one in to to make one. So, yes. Uh, Also... From the Rio Grande Valley, Professor David Bowles has received awards from the American Library Association, the Texas Institute of Letters, and the Texas Associated Press. To the dozen books he's written, he'll soon be adding Feathered Serpent, Dark Heart of Sky, Myths of Mexico, and the YA steampunk graphic novel Clockwork Curandera. Hello, David. Have a good fucking day. Wow. (laughs) The great line from the great line from the movie, man. It is. Yeah. It is. I, I, I actually was totally, yeah. Was that related to the post office? I'm trying to remember when that, when that actually came up. But <clears throat> no, it's, it's uh, after he's like um, been sick for a couple of weeks in the, oh, right. And in his the department like and she's just like fed up with it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I love it. Oh, God. Elizabeth Pena is so fantastic. And finally, also in Denver, as always, color commentary from attorney Julia Guzman of Guzman Immigration of Denver. She's also a member of the Improv Choir in Harmony's Way. Say hello, Julia. Hello. Hello. An improv choir. A cappella improv group. Oh, not only only is it an improv choir, but they're an a (laughs) cappella improv choir, which actually probably is. We don't call ourselves the choir. We just. We're just a group. 
you're a vocal, <laughs> a vocal consortium uh, yes. with with no instruments. All right. Well, welcome. I'm glad that I'm glad that you could that you could join us. Okay. All right. Jacob's Ladder is a 1990 American psychological horror film directed by Adrian Lyne, produced by Alan Marshall, written by Bruce Joel Rubin, who like went on a big head trip before writing this thing. And for real, <laughs> I'm not just saying that. He really, really did. He, he like did his whole Eat, Pray, Love thing. And then he came back with a script, and this was it, more or less. It stars Tim Robbins, Elizabeth Pena, and Danny Aiello. The film's protagonist, Jacob, is a Vietnam vet whose experiences prior to and during the war result in strange, fragmentary flashbacks and hallucinations that haunt him. As his ordeal gets worse, Jacob desperately attempts to figure out the truth. So... We're going to get our opening thoughts. Let's mix it up. David, you have not opened uh, in either any of these three, so this time it's going to be your turn. Let's go David, Julia, Adam, and then I'll go uh, David. First thoughts, Jacob's Ladder. So the, the first time I saw this, um, I was 20 years old, and it, I thought it was you know an incredible film. I was blown away by everything up until like the end, like right after the, you know, the revelatory scene about um, the ladder and, and what it is and so forth. Um, the, the movie very quickly moved towards a resolution that I, for whatever reason, because I was 20 years old, I guess I was not expecting. And I just like walked out of the theater, like what the hell was that? Um, and, and I really haven't revisited it. I think I'm, I might have seen it one more time on video um, with my wife or something like that after I got married. But I hadn't seen it in like many, many years. And watching it now um, with the benefit of many years of studying like Mesoamerican uh, beliefs in the afterlife, I was really, really struck and kind of moved by the notion of the horrific um, in the afterlife as being a way to to decouple someone's soul from their life because that's exactly what like the Aztecs believe. They believe you spent four years traveling through the nine layers of the underworld, Mictlan, um, the land of the dead is what Mictlan means. And along the way, there were like horrific things. There were like demons you had faced and monsters and winds that were made out of, of obsidian uh, blades that would, you know, slice your flesh and um, other winds that would send your soul fluttering around like a, a rag. And all of it was meant so that when you finally stood before um, the the Lord and, and Lady of Death, you, <clears throat> almost every one of your connections to, to the physical world would have been stripped away and you'd be allowed to step. They would allow you beyond them into whatever afterlife. Um, not even the Aztecs uh, dared to speculate about um, lay beyond for, for human beings. And so when I was watching this, I mean, I know that the writer was inspired more by the Tibetan Book of the Dead, but um, I found it like just really, really um, moving in a lot of ways that I, that, you know, at 47 years of age, I can see where at 20, I didn't quite understand. So I really enjoyed it. I was really uh, happy to see it. And now, of course, I understand that that, that weird transition is because 20 minutes of the film were excised. Is that from so? The, the, from, from the film, for the, after the scene where that guy Michael reveals what the ladder is, and yeah. then Jacob goes home to, to the apartment where, that he had with Sarah. And all. So yeah. there's 20 minutes of film missing there. And and now that I understand and, and I've read what those scenes were, I get a little bit more about what happened. So okay, let's get a little I, bit I into it. those I, later because uh, I'm yeah, curious sure. about that because I don't know anything about any excise scenes. Okay, all right, yeah, that's yeah, a no, heck of I, a I, that's that's a that's a good that's a good start. Uh, Julia, first of all, do you remember you're the one who brought us to this film? 
because right. you, so, you really wanted to see yeah. it. So what's your opening thoughts? So, yeah, so um, I, okay, so the reason I even connected these, because this is all my, my doing that we did these movies, <laughs> because I had this image from 20-whatever years ago it is. I had this image in my head of the weird faces and the weird, you know, shaking head effect. And I, in my head, decided it was from Flatliners. And so then we were watching Flatliners, and I was like, oh, I just remembered that's not from Flatliners, it's from Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> and Jason <laughs> just looked at me and was like, you're kidding. He's like, we're watching this movie because of you having a memory of one scene, and it's not even from this movie. <laughs> I'm like, sorry. But um, so I was like, well, let's do a, flatliner, a Jacob's Ladder anyway, because I know that, uh, and I mean, this is, again, spoiler, 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 but um, they are both about the bizarre stuff that happens to you when you're dying or you, when you've just, you know, like uh, flatlined or whatever, and how you may have these weird visions. Of course, I mean, this isn't how anybody describes um near-death experiences, but this, the, both of these films have interpreted it to be, like, you have all these weird visions, all this weird stuff happens to you. So that's how I'm tying them together, uh, Adam. <laughs> because uh, I feel like it's a really interesting exploration of kind of what goes through your, what, what, what goes through the mind of these, of these, the people creating these films as to what might go through someone's mind when they're dying. So that's my, that's my, um, I, I just, I just want to point out, that's that's you know i'm not that worked up about that but even if i were it would be very effective revenge for me making tony watch embrace of the vampire so <laughs> so that's anyway but, but but my thought my first thought really is that i didn't really remember very much about the movie but i remembered that it had a, a tremendous impact on me and now i know why because it really is a disturbing, disturbing film. It's not so much a horror movie, it's a psychological thriller, but there's a lot of horror elements to it, I believe. And something I'm really excited to talk about in this film is, um, you know, my our daughter, who's in high school, took a class last year that really affected her, like really impacted how she um, takes in all kinds of, of works, of literature, of movies, or whatever. And she shared a lot of what she learned. This is her, her language arts class. She shared a lot of what she learned with us. And I was tripping out watching this movie because I'm like, because it's all in here. Like, it, it, a lot of the things we watch incorporate all these themes that Jason was like, well, I don't use this when I'm, I don't use these formulas when I'm writing. But apparently people do because there a lot of them are in this movie. And it's like, like know, what? Stuff. Like, give us an, well, an example. An example is um, that when someone is going to die or is dying, there will be bells ringing. And so there's in this film, the Salvation Army Santa is ringing a bell right over Jacob. Yeah. Or um, there's stuff about water being rebirth and, and, and fire being uh, like a phoenix, you know, like coming coming back cleansing. from it. And he does that. He has the fever and then the being plunged in the water. I know, there's all these things. And so I was super excited to. Um, to, to revisit some of those themes, and I know you guys both being super professorial and all that probably know some of this, but um, <laughs> for me, it's like, <laughs> you know, ninth grade lit language arts, you know, level, uh, and it's not even my, my language arts class. But, uh, so anyway, so I'm excited to talk about the film. I'm really um, glad we watched it. I liked it a lot. It was super disturbing, but very interesting. Yeah, wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, Adam, w w what are your thoughts? Well, uh, you know, I saw this 
I saw this film actually when it uh, when it came out, uh, and I remember not. I, I think I was mostly just shocked by it. I, I didn't like it. I think because I, I was just sort of. Yeah, I think it was one of those films that if you weren't prepared for it, you weren't probably in the mood. If you weren't in the mood for it or prepared for it, it was kind of a shock to your system. Um, but it was definitely visually stunning, and 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 uh, you know I think I was also left with the the you know the images of the you know the of the super fast shaking, which actually became you know iconic. The super fast shaking heads with the you know facial yeah. occlusion, sort of everything else that became a, a thing for a while. You know, and a, yeah. What I did, what I did appreciate about it was, um, you know, the fact that it was it was very visually stunning, not in a in a in a in the in sort of the bigness of the kinds of visuals it was using, but actually rather kind of the small and and sort of insidious ways it was using uh, visuals even at that time. Um, for me, but uh, in in the in the reviewing um, fairly recently, I really enjoyed it, and it was you know I think it, it was enough time has passed, and I was definitely more prepared for it. I really had wished, and I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, I really had wished that they'd used a lot of the same sort of style that I saw Adrian Lyon use in this in the in the updated version of Flatliners. Despite the fact that now that I've heard your theory, I'm like okay, I get it, but I would like to I would like to have had you know some of the same the, the the symbolism and sort of the richness of this this film, which was which is very specific and very um, very uh, dark and sort of and barren in some ways and rich in others and very bleak in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to I would like to have seen um, a lot of the, the same sort of extremely um, deliberate use of symbolism. Uh, I think more in, uh, in in flatliners, but it was, it was refreshing and interesting to. To really look at this at this film again and and take it from a completely different perspective, um, and it was and it was really great. I really I really enjoyed it. You know, borrowing on things like you know, Incident on Owl Creek Bridge. If you go all the way back to yeah. you know that sort of you know that story of things that happen in the in that gaps in the gaps between the you know uh, an event and the end of someone's life. But you know, I think uh, it, it was it was very this was true psychological horror uh, in a city which is certainly psychologically horrific at times. It certainly was in the 90s. What was so great about this is it felt like it was in the 90s, but because of the film stock and the lighting and everything else, apart from the symbolism, it was depicting pretty much New York of the 70s. Yeah. That sort of extremely gritty, incredibly shitty, you know, it becomes like, you know, a Popeye Doyle kind of version of the, of the, of the city and the, and the, and the demons that sort of work their way through the city. And if you spent any time in clubs in New York or LA or anywhere else, not just in the nineties, but even, you know, nowadays, it's not surprising to see all kinds of craziness. So it really gets you in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, this movie gets you in a headlock and doesn't really release you in a, for a while. So it's a really interesting movie. Uh, and, uh, I was really glad to revisit it. I would not have, I think otherwise, I think I had just set it aside and, and just called it an oddity once upon a time. But, uh, I was, I was glad we got I'm eager to talk about it. So first of all, really quickly, just so I understand, in fact, I'd like to start with this question of, of just the environment that we're placed in, both the, the one that we would recognize instantly and also the ones that, that are more uh, uh, symbolic. But New York itself is very much uh, 
very much a huge part of this story. Visually, the uh, you know Adrian Lyon shows us a New York that you guys have told me is 1975. Did I miss a did I miss a, a sub a slug somewhere where it says New York 1975? Because that's what all the all the literature says too. But I don't remember there being that subtitle. I remember it says no, Da Nang I mean, 1971. No, no, it's just you have to infer it because because he talks about you know. It's been it's been you know right. four or five years since oh since, did he okay since oh, Vietnam yeah. and stuff like that yeah so I just missed yeah. the line of dialogue okay all right so so it's yeah it's it's the mid to um, it's basically the early to mid seventies in New York City and I, I think what amazed me most is how grimy and uncomfortable and just horrible this city appears you know it, it, every his clothes are just wet from just how yucky it is everywhere he's stepping in goop every surface seems to have grime on it you know it oh, yeah. looks like it looks like a city that's impossible to keep clean um everybody looks like they're like they've been sweating for days and they're cold <laughs> you know it it just it it's amazing just how much this film being made in 1990 is an attempt to recreate at least a notion of what what New York uh, yeah. could could be like. And of course, there I mean, the, the director is aided by the fact that he doesn't have to get it exactly right. He just he has to get it right enough because yeah. spoiler alert. It's like not really 1975. So, um, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's right. And, really, and in fact, like not really New York. And in fact, spoiler <laughs> alert: there's no. And spoiler alert: there's no way that Jacob could even have any idea what New York in 1975 would be like. So there's also that. Yeah, but I mean, but, you know, <laughs> but he would know what it was like us, in 1971. So that's but, it's but close enough. Us, you know, for, for us in the 1990s, you know, looking at that, I mean, that we have the advantage of it being, you know, 2017. But back when this yeah. thing came out, it looked, you know, having having been in, I'm a, a kid, but I was, you know, in New York in the 70s. I was in New York in the 70s. That was pretty darn close. Yeah, to yeah, it. yeah. A reasonable yeah. approximation for those of us that were kind of watching it. I think even down to the film stock that was used and the way that it was lit. Yeah. You know, that that more than an environment, it, it was sort of like, you know, as opposed to Dante's Inferno, which is sort of like the impression you get out of, you know, most of it. You know, it's yeah. just the sense of that this actual, the city itself is a character yeah. in the same way that any of these sort of, you know, like the, the weird, faceless, you know, creatures yeah. are. It and has that same sort of, you know, um, uh, it's sort of you. It's recognizable as human. It's recognizable as the city, but there's also something to it where its face and its eyes are covered, and it's you know, it's a, it's, it's, it, there's something darker to it. It's not entirely yeah, sure. you know, human, and the city the same way. It's not entirely the city. It is a an occluded version of it. it you know, it is. A, and there's a, there's great callbacks to like Taxi Driver and the French Connection. Sure. Um, but in like subtly, you know, darker and more sinister ways. And so that I, that's all fantastic. I was thinking of this movie with Jason. Uh, who's the, the guy who played just Jason Miller, the actor who played the priest in The Exorcist. And uh -huh. uh, there was a movie where he it was called The Nickel Ride, where his job in the mob he's like a middle manager. And his job is just to control one like warehouse and just deal with the crap that comes in and goes out all day long that's that's what it's about it's about this guy in the mob who has like the most pedestrian like almost legit job that ever existed but it's in this kind of new york it's in this new york that just seems to be covered in three quarters of an inch of film all the time <laughs> and, and i it makes me amazed because you read 
people's journals and and their their memoirs, and they go, and I was so excited to get to New York and begin my career doing blah. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, if this is what New York looked like, it's just hard to imagine that anybody was super excited. But of course they are, because because the city is alive and and it's where everything's happening, and 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 I get it. But uh, you know, and also as David said, this is not real New York. This is nightmare fuel New York. That's only the worst part and it's like been it's been amped up you know beyond you know beyond reality yeah, right the, the princess bride version of new york was really just the worst part right <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's very good yes um yeah s morgenstern is giving us his his bad parts version of new york city uh so okay but we open up we open we open the picture up actually um supposedly several years earlier than that uh in vietnam and i have to say when i first saw this opening sequence uh where um uh, where jacob is is you know just one of this this unit in 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 vietnam this looked to me like any other vietnam movie and in fact uh when everything starts to go wrong, they seem to hit an ambush and some of the guys start foaming at the mouth and falling to the ground. My thinking was, and I think what the movie wants you to think, is, oh, they've been hit with some kind of chemical attack. You know? Agent well, Orange, yeah. I'm going to stop you there and say, because I think this is already a question based on what you guys were saying earlier, based on something Adam said earlier, uh, is I think they are. I think they actually are hit with, they actually have been given that chemical um, by the army that's supposed to, because that, that the whole thing is at the very end, It's it, there's a little... You know, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, there's a there's a solution to the mystery. We'll get to it. Yeah, there's a drug, the drug named BZ that was that was given to people to increase their combat ability. So I actually think that they are. I'm not sure that that's not true. What we're seeing at the beginning. No, maybe maybe it is, but we don't we don't yet know. In other words, all of the enemy are unseen, um, and so we don't we don't know where the Viet Cong are attacking from, but we can pretty much assume it's the Viet Cong. And, you know, in the, and some of the good guys are falling to the ground and frothing at the mouth. So we think there's a chemical aspect to what's going and on. By the way, the, all that talking that they were doing, a lot of that was, in, was improvised. They were just kind of... It sounded great. Show. That was cool. And what a great yeah, cast, great by the way. I mean, it's so cool. Oh my here. God, yeah. yeah. Some of those actors, to see them that, that, to see them that young again, the 90s, is like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's barely the '90s. It's got to, this came out in 1990. You know, you got to think. Yeah, 1990. In like '89, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. you got Ving Rhames and and uh, yeah. um, Eric LaSalle. Uh, who else is in there? Well, yeah, and the Ving Rhames and Tim Robbins stuff was all improvised. So when they're just like going back and forth, that you know. Yes. Just... Yeah, just just <laughs> back, yeah. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. Taylor Vance, who like this looks like so different here than he does in other more like sinister roles later on, and it's just it's pretty incredible. Yeah, Great. yeah, yeah. There's there's actually a lot of wonderful characters just showing up all over the uh, character actors and people we'll know later, you know, uh, because later on Jason Alexander is going to show up. Um, oh yeah, Patha <laughs> Mark Ferguson from from uh, from uh, uh, Law and Order shows up. I mean, so many like. You, you can you can Lewis have a Black time. is the evil doctor. Oh my god. Did you catch that? No. I did not yeah. catch that. He was like, I did wait, 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 what what doctor? Which doctor? Um, Lewis not the witch Black doctor. Plays. What doctor? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure it's Louis Black who plays the doctor um 
like the evil doctor down in in, in the hospital in, in, where but they I strap him down and all a lot of kind of evil doctors. You talking about when he's saying no, no, the one who straps dead? on the gloves and and is like you know. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go because back play, and see that now. He, he plays one of the doctors, the, oh, and I'm pretty sure it's that oh, the one, the one who the one who's like yeah. you're dead or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Check that out because I didn't notice that. Um, and then of course Danny Aiello, who is the um, oh Danny Aiello, the, angel- awesome the angelic chiropractor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's one. one of the few times that, like, you know, it's so funny. The Vietnam bits are sort of are lit warmly, and they're kind of lit because it's the jungle or whatever. But still, it's lit warmly, and all that stuff is yeah. is pretty warm with the oranges and everything else. And all the city stuff is extremely green and cold and kind of everything else. You know, yeah. it's all lit in a very stark way. And when you get back to Aiello again. You know, he's got that backlighting on him. Yeah. You know, obviously. Yeah, there's the scene where Jacob actually says, you look like an angel, which is like, okay, that's yeah. a little on the nose, but yeah. But I mean, the thing I like is, you know, there's a whole bit, particularly in the beginning where you're dealing with directions, visual themes like paths being lost, you know, um, sort of hitting a minute. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's, what? this kind of stuff is fascinating to me. Like this whole idea that, that going into the woods and being lost in the woods is, is, is dealing with the unknown. See, yes, I, I'm saying, like, you guys probably deal with these scenes all the time, but for me, this is all like, oh, that's so cool. But actually, more important, you know, than the faces, which interesting is the occlusion, like, like the idea of things covering the face or things covering the eyes. This is all sort of a thing that, you know, there are these interesting visual motifs, visual themes that are kind of running through it. It's yeah. kind of fascinating how that's all sort of, it kind of runs, kind of runs Well, there's lots it. of, I mean, there, that kind of symbolism is, like, throughout. So there's the one scene where he's in the elevator and they're, like, pennies plugged into, uh-huh. like, the broken bits of the mirror, like the pennies that would be placed on the eyes of the dead so they could cross over into, into oh, the, yeah. um, the, to the, the afterworld. Yeah, right. Yeah. The first thing that he sees when he opens the door to his apartment is the dog, you know, yeah. like the hound that guards hell. There, there's yeah. the ravens at the part, the raven, you know, and ravens are psychopomps. They, you know, accompany the soul to the yeah. uh, to the afterlife. All it, all its stuff is, is interwoven yeah, really, really, runs, really, really runs throughout. Yeah, yeah, it's it's basically very daring that way, where it's it it doesn't bother hiding the fact that it's putting these these uh symbols out there you know oh, yeah it, when he wakes up on the train the very first thing he sees is a sign that says hell right. and yeah it's like right. you know <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually what happens after yeah. vietnam i i just <laughs> oh, want to point oh. out how crazy it is that even though the character jacob says vietnam was worse than than new york later on because he's talking to the guy who was a hippie yeah. he goes shows how much you know that you'd want to go to vietnam the fact is other than the part when suddenly they get attacked and 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 lots of violence happens, Vietnam looks a lot more comfortable and warm than New York City. I mean, in other words, it's like New York City. And Vietnam here's something to think about. Inviting. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, here's something to think about. So this guy goes to Vietnam uh, with a PhD, so yeah. he could have gotten right. a deferment. The fact that he went, and yeah. obviously, like his son had died. So I mean, there's a lot of things that are not not really spoken about that that are just under the surface. But this is a guy that was trying, who was fleeing New York and fleeing, you know, the 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 loneliness and and sadness and and uh, you know bereavement that he felt, and going to this place where he was with a bunch of men who are just, just laughing it up, and you know their lives are on the line, but it's 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 warmer and there's camaraderie, and he can yeah. can escape all of this other stuff. So it's you know it, 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 I definitely it, no. definitely think it's unintentional. Uh, the the Sa- the Oliver uh, is that right the Oliver Sacks book um, the man who mistook his uh, his wife for a hat 
He mm-hmm. talks about it all it deals with memory loss, basically. Memory loss and various different brain diseases. And there's this one person that he interviews who says that he never felt more at home and alive than during the war. And the rest of the time he felt like it's not memorable, like, like his brain just won't even attach to it. So there's a pathology, but there's also just, it was just remarking on the fact that life felt more real and, and lovable in a sense, uh, during, during this, this heightened time of, of the war. Um, which is awful, but uh, but that I hadn't thought about that though, David. What you just said—the notion that that the the son had died and then he goes to the war—that's yeah, yeah. just really interesting, it, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and he's also divorced. Remember, he's like he, his his son has died, and then he's broken up with his wife and kids. We're broken up with his wife and his and she has which often happens. I mean, huh? I mean, nothing nothing drives people more apart than yeah. Than so yeah, so all the more reason for him to want to uh, you know to get get the hell out of hell. So yeah, tell me again, um, how does it work, uh, Adam David? Who knows? How did at that point in 1971 is it the case you could get a deferment if you had a PhD? Uh, you know, because he well, chances yeah. are yes. If you, okay. were in, if you were in school, I mean, you could, you could, uh, presumably if you were well-educated, you know, you, uh, I know exactly how it would work, but one would imagine if you had an advanced degree, you probably weren't going to the front line. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it was something, you could get a deferment if you, if you could demonstrate that um, your, your, your professional abilities, because of your degrees or whatever, uh, were necessary for society, or whatever, so granted, but it wasn't he because apparently he's working has a at the PhD post in philosophy, so maybe that wasn't particularly useful. No, I not know. just that. He wasn't. He wasn't. He was. He had kind of given up his career and was just working at the post office. That's after. So I don't but know that was after the that, Yeah, he no, I think he was already at the post office before. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I think that in, that information is not given to us. All, yeah, in my mind, though, my head canon, Right, my head canon is kid die. I mean, he gets his doctorate. Kid dies. Right. He go, he he volunteers to go to Vietnam. Yeah, and the reason I think he was at the post office is because in one of his visions, in one of his delusions, he wakes up in bed with his wife, and he goes, "I just had this dream that I was living with that that chick that I work with at the post office." So that's yeah. why I'm but like, in, is, but in that vision. In that particular vision you're talking about, he then goes into his kid's room and Gabe is still alive. So that's like an alternate like, yeah. universe. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's like a, yeah. He may not even have so, gone to Vietnam in that version. You know, that, yeah, exactly. uh, that yeah. because it's it's very possible that he wouldn't have he wouldn't have um, right. gone to so Vietnam on. if he hadn't been so depressed. By the way, by the way, he doesn't I, um I can see why you were th- you're thinking about the post office cuz you're you're wondering why is the post office even a part of his his dying visions of himself right. if he doesn't have anything to do with the post office? But I think mm-hmm. there might it? be something. What well, I, I don't know. I'm oh, I'm I, you asked about, that like you knew the answer. I was ready. Oh, no, for no, this well, I, I, I'm I'm speculating. So my speculation. <laughs> is, so the author yeah. studied things like the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and so he probably yeah. also knows that like the the Chinese afterlife is very much like a bureaucracy kind of yes. you know uh-huh. where. Things you know, things are getting stamped and passed around, and, and there are different you know levels of oh, officials and things like that. And so, I, uh, to me, it seems like this is just like, like an entry well, way into hell. It's like, you know, the, like you know, the other thing is that what's I mean, it's all about it's all about transition. It's all about it's all about you know, he's not he's a guy who's lost when we first see him. He's a guy who's on the move. He's going. He's, he's you know, and think about. I mean, 
argument. This is really about, you know, things that pass through his influence and through the post office are all things that are in transit. They're all going mm. somewhere. Yeah. They're all things that, you know, are, you know, there's nothing stationary. It's, it's, the, it's the endless kind of, uh, the endless movement of things from A to B that kind of pass through but don't stay. Yeah. And yeah. it's, you know, there's this yeah, whole yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great of, way of thinking of it. You know, well, and he's like a he's shitty like, post office like, employee too. I mean, he he <laughs> well, he's part that. of he's part of that. It's exactly as you say. You know, things are moving back and forth, but at the same time, he's a terrible post office employee because he wants to skip work and go investigate. You know, wacko things and look people up and and, and go to his do, chiropractor. Do his <laughs> go to his chiropractor. Uh, and, and I love the notion. This is another super cynical idea. Because all of this fits, if we're watching this and we don't know that all of this is a vision, it all fits within the prejudices that we have in our head. That the post office is made up of a, of a heavily unionized bureaucracy that is so poorly run that, that, that its employees can just sort of wander around and never actually do their jobs and nobody, nobody will ever you know, bring them to account. And, uh, I, I don't you think know, anybody thinks about the post office. When I you don't think so? I'm always like, good lord, these people are work hard. I'm not, no, I'm not saying I believe that, but I, I do. Yeah. I do think that that that's a that's an idea. I especially in 1990, I think it's an idea running around that unions have have sort of run a, run crazy and and they've they've destroyed people's work ethic and 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 so on, you know. And and this is also the time, remember, that uh, going postal actually became a phrase. Like it didn't yeah. exist before then, you know. Uh, yeah, that's true, right? You no, know, and and yep. um, of course that is based on the other way around that those guys are being worked so hard, right? And, and yeah, that's you know, what I think they're I so controlled that they start going nuts. They lose it. But yeah, I was going to say about the um, the chiropractor thing that I bet chiropractors love this movie because it really does make them seem like you know angels and heroes, and and apparently they actually had a, a chiropractor who was they're coaching Danny Aiello the whole time so that he would do um, things the right way. And like other chiropractors have, have been thankful that, that in fact it looks just like how it would be. <laughs> when you crack his neck, don't tear his head off. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it, yeah I mean, it's, it's very, very strange. It seemed like it was very careful. Although the what's interesting is when you look at the, when you've been, if you've been to a chiropractor, things look a particular way. But as you're in the context of this film, you're looking at even, you know, before you're really getting a good look at Aiello and sort of the angelic, you know, backlighting yeah. and everything else. When he's first working uh, Tim Robbins over, it looks like a torture device, right? It looks like, yeah. you know, he's like laying. It's so funny because even what's so odd is he seems like, again, a guy who's on the way somewhere and is lost. And even so far as when he asks him to turn over on his left, he goes, no, no, the other left. It's just sort of like, you know, this whole notion that it's a question of being lost and not knowing direction and not knowing which way it's going. But he's in this torture device, which is the, the craziest looking thing. It's, it's in his office. And I'm sure these are real things, but they, it looks... <laughs> Horrifying when you see it for the you know in the context of this movie, um, and then as Aiello kind of is 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 revealed to be more potentially angelic, then it really becomes it becomes interesting. But boy, initially it just looks horrific. Yeah. And the thing is, and, and uh, to me that's part of the, the the whole theme of this, which is what appears at first to be horrific and painful is necessary. Is, yeah. And so um, you know it is it is pain. <clears throat> But that it's pain that he needs to experience in order to get better, um, in order to move and I on. Have, I have to read the quote that he says because it's I loved this quote and it fits yeah. with what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, David. The one from it's Meister so, yeah. Eckhart? 
Meister Eckhart. Eckhart, you're right. So he says, Eckhart saw hell too. He said, the only thing that burns in hell is the part of you that won't let go of your of life, your memories, your attachments. They burn them all away, but they're not punishing you, he said. They're freeing your soul. So the way he sees it, if you're frightened of dying and you're holding on, you'll see devils tearing your life away. But if you've made your peace, then the devils are really angels freeing you from the earth. It's just a matter of how you look at it. That's all. Yeah. So don't worry, Jesus. okay? I think that's such a beautiful um, concept. And I think it's it's really deep because it actually applies not only to um, to this, but to life. It's, you know, where you, you go through horrible experiences and you can see them as, I've suffered, I'm a victim, this is an awful thing. Or you can see it as, you know, something that has helped. It's like what they say, doesn't, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, it's something right. that has helped you become, figure out who you really are and, 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 you know, find out what's really important in life and just get through something and, and be stronger. I think it's a really beautiful sentiment. So I just love but that. But beyond that, it's, it's, it's even letting go of, it's specifically letting go of what's important, in fact, you know, completely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, exactly. and, and well, that whole, that's the whole Zen, um, you know, the, the I mean, because, whole well, that makes of, it of slightly troubling the whole business of, uh, clearly this is going to be a long process because when we get to, the end and uh and a loved one of his in the afterlife leads him away if he had been actually working if he had actually succeeded in that process the presence of a loved one wouldn't be meaningful but i just want to point out no i don't think that's it i think it's that he can finally let go of his earthly um, attachments and then you know the the idea that loved ones are there waiting for you when you die to help to take okay but by the time you're ready to go by the time your soul in the world of that that ALO seems to be describing, by the time your soul is ready to be sort of just poured into the universe, uh, to become a part of whatever it is, and then do whatever is to be done, that attachment will be gone. Also, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, it, it, in in this worldview, yeah, which is not like uh, like it's. Although he does the the screenwriter, the original screenwriter before the director like convinced him to change some of the to allow him to change some of the symbolism and the imagery and so forth he really had rooted it a lot in like a judo judeo-christian kind of view things but in like eastern and as as i mentioned before mesoamerican traditions you know it is it's this notion of you eventually have to let go of everything but after four years um the aztecs would no longer mention the name of the of the person who was deceased because they were believed to have in the same way that they had been um they have been shown the way to release all ties to Earth, and Earth had to release all ties to them. You know, Can it's, I just it's really out... kind of fortuitous. Huh? Oh no, I, I good, David. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. I was just going to say. No, I was going to say uh, as an aside. It's really fortuitous that that uh, Julia picked this movie because I'm like in, actually in the midst of writing uh, a middle grade novel about uh, two kids from San Antonio who get selected to be the new um, uh, Lord and Lady Death to rule over oh, the Aztec awesome. underworld. And and this and this particular this philosophical notion that we're talking about about you know uh, ex- being able to accept death and accept the fact that you're moving on and that you have to let go and that that the people on Earth also have to let go of you is like kind of at the, the core of it. Of course, dealt in a way that you know middle grade readers are going to be able to understand. So I was watching this going, oh, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> you can you can steal so from this research. like crazy. <laughs> Uh, you know, especially considering it's nearly 30 years old, I think, I think you're you're all right. I just wanted to point out that, um, there's, uh, that same thing you were thinking about the burning out that 
Thornton Wilder says that in Our Town, strangely enough. There, there's, uh, there's the point where you move forward in that play, and many of the characters that you followed earlier in the play are all dead. Many of them are also that were kids, are now grown up, and so forth. He just moves the, the, moves the action forward. But when you begin, the sun comes up on the cemetery of Grover's Corners, and many of the characters are just sitting in chairs, and these are the dead, and they're, and they're commenting. And yeah. uh, the stage manager has this amazing speech where he talks about what they're doing and he says um i I just looked up this line and it says they stay here while the earth part of them burns out and burns away and all that time they slowly get indifferent isn't that interesting i mean and and this is this is a 1938 play by thornton wilder that is done in in high schools all the time but it never dawned on me how how much uh, what an idea that is and what a what a sort of non uh, it's 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 not per se non-christian it's extra christian it's just sort of yeah, it's, extra it, christian. It, That's it, it has it. it has no it has no relation whatsoever to to anything that that we learned as as protestants um it's just a this notion and and you know you're telling me it's buddhist then it may well be that that's that's uh, that's where he grabs it I have, I have no idea well, yeah, no, uh, I was saying about the Buddhist, yeah, the Buddhist idea of, de- of detachment, but not, um, I think that was something different from what David was talking about. Um, another thing I wanted to mention as far as the metaphors that, um, that my, our daughter taught me <laughs> is uh, the idea that flowers have different um, meanings, and the rose, which is the most desired flower, is, um, is, is you have to go through pain to be able to to pick it because of the thorn. And at the end, with uh, when he goes into the house, there's it's these pink. I think I remember that there's pink roses there. I feel like that was where that was. But I remember mm-hmm. that Jacob is is like looking at roses at that point. So yeah. um, anyway, but that's just I, I think it's really neat that um, you know, and yeah, some of it is on the nose, but it, I think it's really neat that they just are so committed. I'm not I'm not to, troubled by that at all. I you know, it, to me, something can be obvious. As long as it's handled well, you know, I, I'm 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 down with yeah, it. So yes, it's there, you know, there yeah. layers. There are layers to it. I think some of it is is extremely clear, and some of it is certainly less clear. I think there are layers. Yeah. Um, you know, some is certainly less obvious than, than than the others. I think they're just you know, I'm not sure when I first saw this exactly how much of it I may have done at any given time, and some of the more obvious stuff may have been you know more important for movie audiences back then. And you know, um, and this was a good number of years ago. But I think the layering is maybe one of the things that maybe continues to to make this thing work reasonably well it isn't entirely on the nose although some of it really is yeah. you know, it seems like there's you know, there's enough layering in it just to continue to make this interesting and the film definitely still works um, in a lot of ways and certain parts of it feel super claustrophobic and feel kind of strange and feel you know and like it's all it's all moving in a particular direction um, and you, you really do kind of feel like you're drawn into this into this uh, journey that he's on yeah. um, and it you know and it's still extremely effective I mean you would think that this is a this is a story that we all know pretty well, and that yeah. this this particular trip is one that we've seen, if not done exactly this way, then done you know in ways that are um, similar enough to where they're they're not as 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 new as as they would have been when this film came out. Sure. But you know, it's still extremely effective, uh, and it worked remarkably well. There's really no point where you go, nah, yeah, too much. Yeah, I agree with you 100. percent In fact, I thought it, it was richer. More- Knowing the ending and knowing what's really going on made the experience so much richer. You just get to spend time, like, savoring, you know, for everything from the clues to, like, the little, yeah. you know, tips of the hat. 
um, but just like you know understanding fully what he what is going on you're able to like in, in, you know I, I don't know if you enjoy it but you're able to like um kind of like revel a little bit in in this like really dark journey that he's got to go on to, yeah. to let go um and and i mean everything from you know from his reading camus the stranger to yeah like <laughs> the, the, all the other books like purgatorio um by dante or um uh, things fall apart you know it's briefly pops up in, in when he's looking through the drawers just all these is like really really neat um you know little things uh, like the the song that's playing um when um Jezebel starts dancing with that weird demon creature yeah. is uh it, yeah is James Brown's uh my thing which comes which is from his album hell <laughs> no kidding <laughs> no kidding yeah. so but it's just all this like really really clever and fun um no it's, it's it's wall to wall, you know. But what yeah. I like is that that if you're not thinking of that stuff, or if it's your first time through, the the temptation is to is to follow the thriller plot that's going on, yeah. which is which is pretty prosaic. And, and this is not a complaint. This is the way it works. That's a pretty yeah. straightforward prosaic plot. There's something going on. He and his unit are beginning to remember things that happened in the war. By gum, he's going to prove it before more of them die. Somebody's killing them. And that's, you know, uh, that's that we've seen that plot before, right? You could yeah. actually have made the movie about that. And, and, and I suspect the remake will be about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so before yeah, we were, before we started recording there was a the apparently there is a remake the um a website that uh that david found and I, and I think i saw the same one now seems to say that it nobody will say exactly how this remake relates to the first film if it's a like a real remake or and somebody said that it, somehow it is a an homage, a reimagining, a reimagining, whatever the hell that yeah. means, about two brothers, and so it might not even be like I don't know. We, we don't Modern know. day paranoid action thriller about two brothers. Was that is what the, the description? What does that even mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, because that could mean Deadline. anything. That's the what, Danny Aiello character, Deadline. the Danny Aiello character, could be his brother. It does. You know what I mean? I mean that could mean anything. That could say, oh, let's take the 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 angel you know physical therapist and turn him into a into into the brother fine you know i i just i just have no idea what the hell that's going to be and i don't that doesn't make me feel good the idea that that movie is coming out about a year from now and nobody can say precisely what it's about does not especially after we just saw flatliners 2017 that does not oh. make me Think about well, it. <laughs> the cool thing, I'll tell you what. The, the the cool thing about this remake is that it stars Michael Ely, who is okay. just a really fantastic that. actor. So well, there were I mean, a lot that. of people in Flatliners. I mean, there were a lot of people who were actually. Oh really yeah, good. that's a good point. It had Diego Luna for God's sake, and it's still. Yeah. I mean, it was it was, but it was lined up to actually be pretty good, and it was like. Mm, no. Yeah. So, but you know what? I've been surprised before. Sometimes, sure. you know. So hey, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I want to uh, switch for a moment and say, I don't know if you guys are carrying it around in your head right now, but um, the soundtrack, the, I should say the score to Jacob's Ladder score. is mm -hmm. just uh, gorgeous. It, it is it yeah. is really, really amazing. It's from uh, Jare. Uh, Maurice, Maurice Jare, yeah. Yeah, and it is, it, it's heavily like piano. It, it's just this sound of sadness most of the time. 
because much of this time as he as as he wanders around either looking for clues or just wandering aimlessly um it's sort of the wet outside in in this hellish version of new york and the piano just plays and is sad for us and it's pretty amazing i mean i i really really loved this this score more than i I usually to be honest don't really notice scores very much but this one um uh, really really struck me as amazing yeah no jerry is just incredible i mean the guy who did like you know, Dr. Shivago and Dead Poet Society. And I mean, he also did Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, but hey, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't responsible well, for, <laughs> I, I, uh, for Tina Turner's songs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan's daughter, Lawrence of Arabia, Lawrence of Arabia. Holy, wow, that was an wow. incredible soundtrack. That yeah. I love that soundtrack. So yeah, so this guy, this guy gets around or or, or got around actually. He's got around, dead yeah. Now. But <laughs> yeah, so that was that was gorgeous. And, and and as much as you know, a composer has at his beck and call as big an orchestra as he wants, typically for a movie like this. Um, mm-hmm. It's mostly a score just driven by a piano, you know, and and that's it's pretty beautiful. Um, so. We talked about the music. We talked about the symbolism. I, I do want to talk about the women in in Jacob's life. He uh, when when Jacob, let's presume that he doesn't meet. Let's presume a world where all fantasies are true. When Jacob uh, goes to Vietnam, he is still married to this to his lovely wife, with whom he has three children in a in a small but very comfortable and warm looking apartment in new york and so one child has already died uh i'm talking about before vietnam before he goes to vietnam before okay. uh yeah right and yeah but what i'm saying is when he goes to vietnam yes yes uh-huh. all i'm saying is he has this wife who's like a picture of kind of uh, it's not suburban because he's lived well it's brooklyn i suppose but uh uh you know the of sort of suburban normalcy of expectation of what you're supposed to be you know mm-hmm. a guy like jacob probably this is precisely what he was supposed to be is married with kids you know at a young age married, not, married oh. to georgie from sisters right right <laughs> this georgie from sisters yes no that's Sister true Calumber. and uh you know and and um his girlfriend that he gets when he comes back to vietnam is kind of the exact opposite it's this sort of yeah. multicultural exotic Cuban sexy dancing. Yeah. And that's what I was reminded of when I was watching this was oh my god, Lisa Pena was so sexy in nineteen ninety. Oh yeah. Jesus oh my Christ. god. So cute. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I remember like having like an enormous crush on her when I was twenty years old. I was yeah. like, Holy snap. I hadn't met my wife yet. I was like, I I see quiero que sea mi mujer. I want a woman like that. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I'm not married yet. I'm holding out hope that I will meet Elizabeth. Yeah, Pena. I will, that Elizabeth Pena will say yes when I. <laughs> and after, and after, have you ever seen the uh, Friends episode? It's the one with the list. <laughs> oh yeah. Where they they make a list of like who they're allowed to sleep with after they're like together with the person or whatever. I guess they're married. Uh-huh. But anyway, yeah. did she did she make your list? <laughs> there you go. She yeah. would have been on my list, and my wife probably yeah. would have said, "Okay, I, I understand." <laughs> she is so beautiful and and elizabeth pena shockingly died just a couple of years ago and yeah, I know. that was that was a complete surprise uh you know at least uh, you know you know at least to me i mean you know you you didn't read a lot of like articles in 
you know, in on the web or anything about her, you know, having problems. Uh, apparently, she died of cirrhosis of the liver. That's there's no way to say that, and it's not sad. It's sad, you yeah. know. But it here, oh, she's beautiful and she's wonderful, and and she has to read a lot of really strange lines and put up with a lot of really crazy stuff, and she's <laughs> wonderful the whole way. But anyway, think about it. Um, so like like white bread, tall, gangly, goofy, um, uh, extraordinarily Caucasian Tim Robbins envisions, what if I left my wife and our comfortable life and our three children and our warm apartment, and instead um, I was with sexy Elizabeth Pena? And all we do is just lay around naked and then go to the post office. And you know, my question to you then is, again, back to the post office thing, is this a person you've actually ever met before, or is she just completely created whole cloth from his I'm going to tell you, when, when, I, when, I re- when I talk to you about the, the deleted scenes, there's some indication of like what it is that she's supposed to okay, represent. Tell why, don't we, like why don't we get to that now? Because I think I think uh, we're okay. at a good point now. We can talk about deleted scenes, and I think we'll just go to our our final thoughts. Because we could either talk about this for seven more hours, or 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 yeah. sort of to that. So, so yeah, talk um, to me about what got cut. Yeah. So um, there there was when they when they first showed the film to test audiences, a, a lot of people said there's just, By the way, it's overwhelming. Stop. I love any yeah, story it, it, that begins with that sentence. But anyway, go ahead. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> it, they were like, "This is overwhelming. There's." We we're not sure what the hell just went on, and he he kind of like um and, and talking to them realized that the most confusing part came from um the the latter half of the film like right after Michael the chemist reveals the this drug the ladder that that he helped um to you know to test on first um I guess he says jungle monkeys and then on some of the Viet Cong and then on their own soldiers, there is, there are four major scenes that get cut. So the first one is where um, Michael gives him an antidote for the ladder and then, and he thinks he's cured and he's so, he's so excited that he's cured. Um, he goes to buy um, a, a ticket to, 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 uh, to uh, uh, or a bus to Chicago, but then he goes into the bathroom and while he's in the bathroom, weird shit starts happening and somebody pushes like a little piece of toilet paper through like a, a hole in the stall that says, um, you're dead, and, and like, and the weird like blood is coming out of the sink and stuff like that. Um, and then um, he goes back to Michael's apartment, like, "Hey, what the fuck? I thought you cured me." And he finds Michael decapitated, and he's uh-huh. like, "Oh shit!" So this is still going on. And then um, the scene uh, right before he takes the taxi back to his old apartment where Sarah and the kids live. Um, there's a scene in his apartment, his like his his grimy apartment. Uh, his final like confrontation with Jezebel, and so in the scene, um, and you can all these scenes you can find them on YouTube, by the way. Um, no in in the scene, yeah, they're kind of like grainy or whatever. But um, Jezebel starts going through this transformation. Her head is doing that weird twisting around thing, um, and then her face is occluded in the way that Adam was talking about earlier. Um, and uh-huh. he reaches out and he draws this like veil off of her face, and it's him. Uh-huh. He is Jezebel is him. Um, it's like the you know the part of him that okay. is clinging to the world and so forth. And, and once that's revealed to him and huh. yeah, yeah. Once it's revealed to him that, that, you know, that this whole thing, it basically reveals to him, Oh, okay. I get it. This is the part of me that's like clinging to the world and, and, and the, and she's anchoring me here and like, uh, I can like let go now. And that's why he's able to go to the apartment and then like go with the son 
up up the ladder now to like wherever. So mm-hmm. kind of interesting. But the audiences were very confused by all of that shit. Yeah, no oh, kidding. And in the scene, in the scene where she's transforming that like weird demon that she was like, you know, getting nasty yeah, with yeah. on the dance floor to, um, yeah, comes kind of kind of comes back and intermittent cuts or whatever. That shit well, was crazy. I that whole dance scene, with, that was yeah. nuts. Because yeah. when you were talking about how it was, it started out being kind of more Christian, but then it brought in some other themes. That's a particularly Christian theme of of, of you know confronting this demon, this devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I thought of there. And then what about the the uh, meaning of her, of the name Jezebel? Like, uh, yeah, because I always think of it. Yeah, no, I mean that's definitely a, a, a biblical allusion yeah. um, to to Queen as uh, Queen Jezebel. Yeah. Um, Was it, yeah. I don't know if anybody um, has any thoughts on that. I, I, I don't remember that, yeah. what the I don't remember what the story of Jezebel is because I'm not a biblical scholar, so I just didn't know. I, I could I don't remember either. All I know is that the name always got used in popular culture for yeah. a deceitful well, she was, woman. Yeah. So she was she was a, she was Phoenician, right? And she marries a, a prince of Israel named um, Ahab, right? Mm-hmm. But the, and so and then he, the prince becomes a king, and now they're king and queen of Israel. But she doesn't worship the God of Israel. She continues worshiping Baal, okay. the, uh, the, the the nature god, whatever. And the prophet Elijah is like is always like you know calling her out and you know talking you know talking bad about her. Um, and I, I'm trying to remember if like if she did something particularly. Bad, um, but I do know that she know, was, she she her her court threw her out of a window and killed her. That's the, mm. the one thing that like <laughs> she was just not a good person, sure. according to yeah. the Bible. Well, the, the, so she, to me, she seems like the like the classic temptress kind of thing. And so, like if you think of if you think of this thing that he's going on as the classic hero's journey, right? The monomyth, and he's like descending um, yeah. down first into the depths. And so there's a point where he's got to have the confrontation with the goddess, you know, that's Jezebel. And, um, and then there's the atonement with the father, which is, you know, in a coming to the, 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 the atonement with the father is probably is his scene with Danny Aiello, where he's like calling him to mm-hmm. let go or whatever. It, it's, it's in, in that way, like a lot of things, it's, it's classically structured as a monolith. And then he rises up out of that darkness into the light at the end. Um, I want to I want to call out a couple of just uh, just think other things that are really cool to look for here. I, I think if you said, "Hey, Jason, what do you remember about Jacob's ladder?" I didn't remember the shaking head effect that everybody loves. I did remember wow. being plunged into a bathtub, the 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 bathtub yeah, of ice, crazy, yeah. that thing where where he um, and, and think about this. This has zero special effects. You know, um, the this this effect. Yeah, I that, actually. I turned to Jason when they, when they're pouring the ice in there, and I'm like, I, they're actually pouring ice into the tub that Tim, that Tim Robbins is in, and Jason literally did a spit take with his coffee. <laughs> like, I don't know why yeah. that's so funny. But I, 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 I think well, I think your phrasing was really spot on. It was like they're really literally pouring ice on Tim Robbins. <laughs> but but no, I mean what I mean is this is low tech. This this whole it's uh hey the doctor that says you have low tech. It's all practical special sure. effects. None of it is post production. Yeah. But very I mean visceral. Very, yeah. you know, it's very New York is really everything seems really extreme and very physical. Whether yeah. it's uh, you know the sun or whether it's the city or whether it's the ice or it's all seems you know very low tech very it's very visceral it's being rolled in the gurney down to the guts of that insane hospital and right. like just 
it gets a slow, it's increasingly stranger and stranger. From yes. first, there's like just a patient curled up on the floor, and then suddenly there are other no, patients moving, and then there's like yeah. a like a cage above them, and people are crawling. It's so that yeah, it's, but again, that was, that was very uh, also very similar to Flatliners because all those yeah. visions that they have are like that, where everything is just really disgusting. And but there's you know, a whole I mean, lot of neon in this picture. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. There's a lot yeah. more going on. Yeah, for sure. But but the uh, but in a way that it, one thing that's very much like Flatliners is that. This is yet another hospital that would not exist in reality. Now, the excuse right. this yeah, movie has is this movie is completely, you know, the, the hospital here is completely being concocted in the dying mind of Jacob, right. whereas the yeah. other movie was being concocted in Vietnam, the, under drugs. In the, yeah. Well, and Flatliners was was being that was just being concocted in the mind of Joel Schumacher, which is you know mm-hmm. different and but gorgeous. Of a glorious, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, hospital with, you know, with mood lighting. Yes. Yeah, and stained glass so, windows. It's like they just took the church over. Yeah, yeah, and with no Always. human ever saying a line of dialogue that like explains any of that. You know, uh, yeah, none, none. You're supposed to just 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 understand all that stuff without the characters ever bothering to explain why we're using an empty church or whatever. Um, here. You know, I've I've been in some dingy old hospitals, but I've never been in one where there's like literally wet grime just sort of dripping down the the tiles of the of the, you know the walls as you go by. Um, okay. This is a this is a nightmare image. Um, can we think? Can, can you guys name how many movies can you think of off the top of your head? Maybe there aren't that many. Where uh, and and we have talked about this, but in the moment, as Adam said, between when the person is grievously injured and when they die, uh, how many movies take place within that blink? Um, there's definitely this one. Uh, there's the occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, right, which, right. Uh, which which Adam mentioned. Can you think of any others? I think there's one, but I don't. I, um, uh, uh, so it seems to me that uh, there's a there's a certain point, and even with uh, all that jazz, I think occurs. Yes. Yeah. No, you're totally right. All that jazz. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Spoilers for all that jazz, by the way. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah, in case you thought you were really watching all that jazz. Yeah. Um, because you're watching show tune, it ends uh, badly or great, depending on where you stand. I, uh, yeah. I, I, that was a surprise I, in the theater, yeah. by the way. That was like, oh my god. Uh, what the the uh, all that jazz ending? Yeah. Yeah, the all that jazz. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually I think I probably saw it on. Oh, it's it's rough. It could, if you're not prepared for that, it can make you very sad. But yeah, what's, uh, uh, what's another what's another one where Carnival of Souls? You, Carnival of Souls. Carnival does it. Of Souls. Like, yeah, the class. By the way, spoilers for Carnival of Souls. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> did, they, did they continue that throughout? Did they continue that like in the remakes of Carnival of Souls? I never saw it. <laughs> Why do they exist? I don't. I don't think I've ever. You know, I know there are some, but I have to sort of guess whether. I don't think so. To be perfectly honest with you, I believe that the that the remake did not do the same story, which makes no sense to me at all. I mean, if I were doing a remake of Carnival of Souls, first of all, I would go straight out to the Saltaire Pavilion and I would do it out there. You know, I would just just do it up and and just literally remake the same movie. Um, Right. Yes. But uh, those are the only ones I can think of. Uh, let me see. Are there any others that are that are a good example of of movies where the person is dying? 
Uh, I can't. I I I can't think uh, of it. Memento is. I know there good? are, but I, I can't. Yeah. Mm. The Sixth Sense. Is it? Isn't he? Is the oh, the Sixth Sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, you're yeah. already dead. I'm okay. Already, yeah. yeah. Right. But it's, 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 off, but that's, that's pretty good though. Yeah. What's that, Joy? Isn't Memento one of those? Or am I is just it? Yeah. I don't. Except he's not, he's not dead though. It's just he's. Or, or what's the one with what's the one where uh, Robert De Niro is dying at the beginning? It's like I'm thinking of the where it's like the whole thing, the whole rest of the movie is what happened to lead up to the point. Robert De Niro. I mean, that sounds like, that's like what is that? I mean, that sounds like I mean that's, there are films like Sunset Boulevard that. That sounds like have... frantic, kind of. Or, or what's what's the okay? Anyway, well, yeah, well, we'll, we'll leave that up to the the people on the on the right. uh, page. Yes, that's um, your that's your homework is suggest other movies where the whole movie's about. Well, there's, you know, there's one where somebody's where somebody's dead and it becomes a retelling from the point of view that you know that he's dead. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the ones where they pretty much where the the last image is like, well, he's he's dead. You go, oh my god, okay. It's pretty you gutsy know. though, because like who you know my 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 fear always with that. And this is where we should just go to our final thoughts about this movie. If you reveal at the end that the main character is dead, there's a tendency to say, well, then who cares? Why, why did it go through all of this if the main character is yeah. dead? Like, what was the point? Especially um, if it was all a dream. You know, if it was all just the imagination of the main character, then who cares? Right. But I don't well, think that this is the imagination of the main character. So. No. Okay. So, like, yeah. So, they, shall we do our final thoughts? So we can kind of yeah. answer that question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Answer the question. Go ahead. Go ahead, David. Um, yeah. So, so, and, and this can serve as, as my final thought. So, um, my feeling upon rewatching it and like knowing full well what's going on is that there's like a layer of his imagination over things, but these are real events. He is actually um, the the beings that he's interacting with are are real beings in some place that he's passing through. Um, the recommendation he's getting from Danny Aiello to to let go is like real advice he's getting from someone real. That you know that character is not something he's made up in his mind. I mean, that's huh. again, there's there's no like real evidence in the film for that either way, I guess. But it it feels very clear to me that that we're supposed to take it. Not just as like everything is made up in his head and it's just like a like a hallucination in his dying moments, but that his soul is slipping away and that um, he's trying to cling to life and he's being encouraged to let go. Um, and so when you look at it that way, the stuff that happens on the home does matter. Every single one of those things is leading to his being able to let go. Um, yeah. and, and if to me to me the other version is is just not I don't know it's not palatable. That it's just all just his imagination, just his hallucination as, yeah. as, he, as he dies. Um, so, I mean, I That's think well the put. film, well. yeah, I think the film is, is really is really great. I enjoyed rewatching it. Definitely something I would recommend to people. You've got you've got to have a strong stomach, but I mean, it's not even though some of the tropes that are created by this film, because it was a really influential film on things like yeah. Silent Hill and 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 a, and a ton of other uh, horror yeah. franchises. Um, even though those those tropes have lived on beyond it, this film is is trying to say something really deep about the human condition. Um, and so it's not like it's it's using horrific images, but to, to say something like I think really really meaningful about um, our connections to the people we love and how difficult it is to let let go of that. Uh, his difficulty in letting go of life is um, is like a reflection of the difficulty of his letting go of his son. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, just, I just think it's looking at it as a father. Um, I, I see it as a like beautiful in ways that I couldn't appreciate when I was 20 years old. And so, definitely yeah. a film. I like 
I actually, um, in order to see it, I had I had to like purchase it because I couldn't find it very easily any other way. Or huh. I mean, I could have. I guess I could have rented it like on YouTube for two ninety nine. But I decided, you know, seven ninety nine on on Amazon. I'll go ahead and buy it because I think it's a it's a movie that that I'll revisit uh, later, um, a few years down the road. I think it's worth revisiting, and I definitely recommend it. A very original um, idea, daring in a lot of ways, um, and well executed. So yeah, oh, that's very awesome. beautiful. Very beautiful. Uh... Julia, uh, what are your what are your final thoughts about Jacob's Ladder? Well, <clears throat> I have really enjoyed this conversation um, because, like I said, you know, I, I, I did not, you know, how they say education is lost on 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 the young or whatever. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I feel like for sure language arts was lost on me when I was young because I just didn't care about it. And now I'm like, kind of, I kind of wish I could go back to school and revisit a bunch of um of works of literature and, and really listen to what the teachers say because i'm like this is also interesting to me so i really enjoyed that um you know the the going back to school with you guys uh, a little bit and um and that's that's been a lot of fun but like i said you know i, I think it's a really interesting picture to use adam's word um uh, it's not it's not like anything else that I've really seen much of since then. And, um, you know, I just watched it again and I was thinking, wow, I've forgotten so much of what happened, but it just really stuck with me and there's a good reason for that. Um, So, yeah, I'm just, I really appreciate you guys taking this uh, journey with me. Hmm. Well, beautiful. Um, By the way, you could, there's all these things like the great courses and stuff like that that you can do. Yeah. You know, so if, you know, if it's just, if this is something that's really important to you, I'm sure we can figure it out. Um, so, uh, you could also accompany your daughter to school, which would make her very yeah. happy. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I'll just, I'll just like tell, tell the teachers, don't mind me. I'm just going to sit in the back. It's nothing. Just, <laughs> well, you know, a couple of years ago, and I only cracked like, like the surface of the surface. But I start. I decided I would try and read a bunch of things that I was supposed to read when I was a senior in high school and didn't. And it was really great because I read like stuff like the Chocolate War, you know, and and just all these all these books that I remember everybody talking about that I had never read. And it was wonderful. It was like a, a wonderful couple of months, you know, just sort of filling in all these gaps that uh, I didn't have. But as you're well aware, it never ends. You know, there's always nope. more, there's always more <laughs> gaps. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. Uh, Adam, what are your final thoughts? Well, I, uh, I'm going to tell you, it was really great revisiting this, this film. I, um, I spent a fair amount of time actually um, studying Adrian Lyne and, you know, as a director. And, you know, when you think about kind of where he, come from, where he came from, and it's interesting to sort of hear him talk about how he came to directing his first feature. He did a couple of shorts before he actually did Little Boxes, which is, you know, you kind of go Little Boxes and you draw a line to this and you go, that's quite a, that's quite a yeah. line, you know, and to see kind of where he went after that. But, you know, it's interesting that he came sort of by way of, you know, music videos and by way of everything else. And if you look at the uh, Michael Sambello sort of stuff that, you know, he did before, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. It's extremely visually rich, yeah. but in a way that's sort of unexpected. And I think, um, you know, it isn't nearly as bright and as bold as you sort of expect. The fact that, you know, when, when it's painting a, 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 a very stark, uh, picture of New York, and I still believe that this that the scenery itself is sort of a character. You know, I think there there are a lot of subtleties to this to this picture that we don't really sort of um, we because they're actually sort of well um, constructed. They're not so obvious, so they're different layers. So some things are super obvious, and they're for everything that you point out and go, that's really on the nose. 
there are three or four or five things that are less so, whether they're visual or whether yeah. it's in the dialogue or whatever else. So I think it's actually a it's actually a a, um, a film that you can revisit. And I was surprised how well it held up between the time that it came out and then I had seen it, and the time that I sort of had had touched on it this way or that, you know, over time, but really now sat down uh, recently and, and, and looked at it with, you know, uh, more, I don't know, more seasoned, um, more um, sort of uh, more experienced eyes than I did sort of way back then. I could see a lot of the artistry that went into it and just was able to appreciate the story, the visual story of it, the composite story of it more and more, uh, the journey of it. I thought it was really, really good. Um, you know, so it was really great to revisit it in in, in this way, and and to sort of see what kind of a director um, Adrian Line is. Um, certainly was then, and we really haven't heard a lot from him in quite a long time. I think it was in France. Um, but you know, I think it's a, I think this is really, um, I think it's an important film in a lot of ways. I think it was visually rich and sort of stunning, and it made, makes you feel a certain way. What's interesting is I'd, I'd be interested in kind of seeing. I don't know the history of the script to see if it really had if it ended in how the way that it, it did and what the test screenings were like or whatever else how how the studio you know uh, may have helped to shape its ending because it's a remarkably happy ending you know it's not even really bittersweet exactly it you know really is sort of played out it's, got a, it's a real shocker but it sort of yeah. it plays out in a sort of really nice way it's a it's a very well put together uh very well put together film and uh, yeah. i guess i really enjoyed uh revisiting it and 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 really taking it apart um, and just trying to get a sense of it. And there's so many things that, that I think this influence, I mean, the shaking head thing and the, you know, and, yeah. the, and the, the eyes and the face and all that and the, and the sort of the, you know, the, um, the muslin uh, cloth over the, over the face, you know, we've seen that effect in other places before. Um, and, you know, and I think a lot of it came from the, uh, the sort of the stunning impact of how it was used here. So I think it's had a, a real impact. And it's interesting when you think about about Robbins sort of at the time that we were sort of seeing him in this. It's really it was really interesting. I, I don't think we we knew kind of what to expect um, from him um, when this picture came out. That's a but, good point. You know, yeah. I think it was. Uh, I think it's. Um, I think in the area of flatliners, you know, there is a there is a that is very physical uh leaning over into sort of the i don't know we'll say spiritual i won't even say metaphysical but i'll say definitely sort of spiritual um you know this ex this seems extremely spiritual you know this seems like it yeah, i could see where you know it tie it ties into it even if it, you could be you could mistake one for you know this being you know in the camp of uh of flatliners but you know i think it's a, i think it is a it is really a, one of the more interesting movies that i think you can encounter in this in this kind of um, milieu where you 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 think that it's a cycle that it's a that it's a psychological horror picture and it has you chasing your tail kind of through you know the, the unfolding of the story thinking it's this or that or the other and really it's about you know the last few moments you know or the last you know um, you know uh, half an hour hour whatever it is of a man's life you know yeah. and it does it in a, in a in a really in an interesting artistic way and a, and kind of thought and for all the things that you that are kind of on the surface, there's a lot more I think that stay with you. This is a, this is definitely a, um, a film that stays with you, and you kind of process it more a little bit later, and you try and go, oh yeah, that's what this was. For everything that you recognize, there's always something else that kind of is tucked away in the back. And I think that apart from the script, you know, I think it, I think that's Adrian Lyons' work. You know, so I think it's, <laughs> it was really good to re, really good to revisit it, and really good to to see it even in the 
the context of the, even insofar as it holds up remarkably well. You know, Flatliners, I mean, the first one, that's a, that's a movie that, you know, was great to see everybody when they were younger, and it was fine. It still had all the flaws that it did back then. Um, and it, was, it certainly was okay. It was great to sort of look at that because it was like looking through the, the lens of nostalgia. Um, the Flatliners remake, I think we, we all pretty much looked at that and went, okay, I don't know if we actually needed one like this, but it was interesting casting and it, 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 you know, it got made and that was, and that was fine. But this is, you know, this, I would argue, held up better than really any of those things. And I think it will have, it has a longer life than certainly Flatliners, the remake, will have in as many years in the future. <laughs> so this thing really does, you can show it to a modern audience now and you either know Tim Robbins or you don't know Tim Robbins and it really, or you know Adrian Lyon or you don't. And it really doesn't matter. It actually, it, it's held in a time and a place that you're either familiar with 70s New York or you're not. And it doesn't matter because it plays either way and you get yeah. the sense of it. You be, you know, it's Dante's Inferno for like, you know, you don't have to be, you know, incredibly familiar with, you know, um, the time of the place for that to all play out. You know, it it actually holds up incredibly well. Um, and I think that's one of the things that surprised me about it. I really did think that, you know, there's so many times you see a you see a a, a a film from a certain time and you go, that is so far right, no modern audience is gonna pay any attention to this. But thematically yeah. and visually and, you know, it all really still does work. Um uh when you when you sit down and you and you view it for the first time, I would argue that you could sit this in front of, you know, modern audiences and they would still completely get what this is. It it, it wouldn't it wouldn't matter. All the elements still work incredibly well. They would say the cars are gigantic, but that's about pretty much all you would really, really say. I mean, yeah. some stuff is still fairly novel and arresting and disturbing, and it deals with the human condition, the spiritual condition, in ways that I think are um, are remarkably good. And the, I think the language that it uses is still um, uh, extremely effective. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's really what you want, right? You want stories and certainly visual stories that transcend time and still, and, and still deal with things that, speak to multiple generations. And I was really shocked more than anything else that this held up as well as it did. I really yeah. was. It holds up I better agree. than I think, you know, it's really the first flat, the first flatliners did. You know, that's definitely a period, that's, that's a time and a place picture, and it's fine for that, but you have to be like, I love the 80s for that thing to work. This thing, <laughs> I, would, I would say that it's timeless, but I would say that it, it definitely holds up incredibly well and is just as potent, if not more so, uh, now. Very cool. Um, I, I, I have nothing to add to all this. I mean, I think that, uh, that, that you guys have, have summed it up, uh, beautifully. I, I want to, um, I, 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 I mean, we've, we've, we've discussed this one a lot and, and I, I do want people to weigh in on the Facebook page, uh, if they can think of more films that, uh, that are like this, or if we've missed something, uh, something important. But I want to get to endorsements. We've entered October. It's like a very important month to a lot of people to like catch up on horror movie watching if you haven't been watching any. And uh, you know, um, as you know, I've been watching some Euro trash. So let's get into uh, uh, you know what would you endorse? And uh, we're starting with David. David, what what do you have? Do you have anything for us? Yeah, well, you know, um, my endorsements uh, this week are like inspired by this film uh, because as I was watching it, and I was like, oh, I know what I want to recommend. And so the first thing that I thought of was uh, the the book Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World by um, Haruki Murakami, Japanese author. Really fantastic book, and 
the the reason that it came to me, um, it, it's kind of like a, a cyberpunkish, like half of it is like a cyberpunkish kind of book, like a, almost like a William Gibson kind of thing. But the other half is is set in the dying moments um, of of a man's life, and it basically um, takes this notion of subjective time and posits that um, the final moments of your uh, life, time slows down so much subjectively for you that it's essentially eternity. Uh, so you, that you essentially, in your own, from your own perspective, have eternal life because um, each moment slows down in this kind of um, um, exponential way to, to give you like this kind of eternal life. And you, and you live within this very strange afterlife that is constructed out of your own mind and your own memories, stuff like that. And, and so um, it is, a really stunning book by one of Japan's like greatest authors ever. Um, and anybody who's wanting to continue exploring some of these kinds of things, ought to check out Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World. And the other one that I was thinking about, and it came to me like when with with the opening scene where Jacob was reading um, the, the Stranger, I thought of uh, uh, the play uh, No Exit by Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, sure. The, the French writer. That play is great. That's the one uh, that has given us the famous line, um, hell is other people, because it's basically a room full of people. um, (laughs) They suddenly, they find themselves in the room and they're trying to figure out why are we in this room? Why is there no door to get out of it? And they start talking to each other and they find that they despise each other like very, very deeply. And then they realize that that they are in hell and they will be in that room with each other forever. And they cannot stand each other, and it's like much worse than any demon <laughs> or or pit of fire or anything like that. So it's definitely. I liked that work a lot better than The Stranger, by the way. Just FYI. Oh yeah, no, I, 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 yeah. I'm not a big fan of The Stranger. Uh, no, it's much better. I agree with you. Yeah. And then the last thing is, um, and this is going to require that I that I spoil some stuff. So, but I think uh-huh. it's in, I think it's good spoiling. So one of uh, Lost was like my favorite TV show when it was on, yeah. and the final season, season six, caught a caught a lot of flack because people who were like either watching it cursorily or didn't watch it and and just like caught little things were you know, glommed on to this. Um, what was going on uh, when it was revealed uh, towards the end of the season. And they said, see, they've been dead the whole time. They're in purgatory um, because it, it is revealed that some of the things that are happening in season six are happening mm-hmm. after their death. But yeah. it's it's kind of important to understand that um, in season six of Lost, there are two different things going on. There's a, action that's happening in the present on, on that island that they're lost on. And yeah. then all the other events that appear to be happening like in an alternate reality. Yeah, those where they are never crash. Much, yeah, much for, yeah, exactly. It's a, an alternate reality where they never crashed. It's all of that is actually happening many, many years after the final scene of the series, like conceivably decades and decades in the future, where all of the characters are now dead. They've probably lived full lives and grown old and died. And in the afterlife, they have they've created this way to come back together because their experiences on the island were so important that they what? wanted to be able to find each other in the afterlife. And so... Um, Dude, now i got to go, but now you're going to make me want to go back and watch the whole damn series. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> yeah. Because that, so all... See, the, the thing is, they were at the end of season five, the creator started saying, instead of doing flashbacks, we're going to be doing flash sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my and, God. And, and, and they were they were deliberately obscuring the fact that what they were going to be showing is something that happens 
you know, after these characters die, but like, you know, again, like decades in the future. And so all of it is happening in some kind of reality that they've constructed together to find each other after death. Um, and when you watch it, when you watch it that way, it is... It's, it's I, kind of. I mean, because I rewatched it I, the, the first time too. I was first time through. I was so shocked and kind of bewildered and so forth in the pilot. I mean, in the pilot in the the finale that I was upset. But when I rewatched it, knowing what was going on, it was kind of like rewatching Jacob's Ladder. I was like, sure. okay, I see. I see why they would want to come back together. I see why their experiences together have made them a family. And in the afterlife, they would want to find each other, and so they would find some kind of way um, to this is gonna, bring this them is together. This is going to be something that we discuss at some point. I mean, I, yeah, I, I know, I, right? Like I my head, my head is exploding right now. I'm like, I don't I've think that. <laughs> I've had conversations about this, and in some cases, with people who kind of were involved with the show, and I'm kind of like, what? So I, I just <laughs> like I want to talk about this, but I have a feeling it's going to be a long discussion. It would be I a very, very the, long conversation. I remember the yeah, flash. Well, sideways was a term that they used when they were promoting yeah. it i will say joy if you decide to watch your way through lost just let me know when you're done and uh i'll i'll just ask you <laughs> you're gonna, move, it, you're so. gonna move out for a couple weeks is what you're saying <laughs> yeah i mean this, yeah well, you, can because, also, you can also go you can also go look online there are there there is a sort of a viewing there's a viewing path you can also pick up as well which is sort of like here are the here are the essentials that you sort of want to you don't know, like watch every yeah. single episode you kind of watch this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. It carries you through That's the various seasons. You know, there is that. It's sort of been, you know, that sounds awesome. Together. Yeah, so, yeah. I wait, I wait to I, like watch the essential episodes and yeah. and just get the gist of what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I think there's, you know, I think there's a, I think there's a way to navigate your way through that, which in retrospect, you know, doing it retrospectively is probably is way better. Sure. Uh, not even because it's it's sort of presupposing that you're going in a particular direction, but just because you're kind of omitting the things that necessarily are, that aren't necessarily part of the critical path. Yeah. The ones that were. I feel like I need to do that for the X Files too. Go back and watch all the X Files like, that way. Like perhaps all the polar bear. Episode, yeah. Perhaps the polar bear could have been done without from from Lost. You know, I'm <laughs> just I'm just guessing. Yeah. I I what I always loved about Lost, by the way, was I kind of wished that my own life, like whenever I suddenly remembered something, that there would be this like. Um, that sound effect like a whooshing sound <laughs> the whooshing, there's always the this like whee! kind of like, like noise yeah. that would lead into memories or commercials either way yeah. i was uh-huh. like i wish the transitions in my life all were accompanied by that were accompanied by some kind I of sound want, effect that i would, just yeah. want the i just want the law and order to tongue <laughs> gong, gong. yeah yeah absolutely well transition. thank you thank you very much david that's that's wonderful uh julia do you have anything uh to endorse you know, for us i wasn't going i didn't have anything until david started talking and i was like i've got one so just based on what you were saying um i my favorite and i may have talked about this in the past i have a feeling i probably did because one of my favorite books of all time is uh dr brian weiss's many lives many masters and it's oh, yeah. a book. He's uh yeah, he's a, a psychiatrist who um, worked with didn't believe in and pa- in, in reincarnation and past lives and all that, but he did do regression to earlier parts of of your life with his patients and he had a patient who regressed past 
before her childhood into another life. And he was so taken by all the stuff that she said and, and knew and languages she spoke and whatever that he decided to write a book about her experience and has, in fact, become sort of now like a past life guru guy. But um, but he's amazing and he's like super legit, you know, extremely educate, well educated psychiatrist. I've met him. I've done a workshop with him and everything because he's just so fascinating. But I love it was that was the beginning of my fascination with all that stuff. And it's um, yeah, many lives, many masters. And so if we're gonna talk about you know what happens after you die and past life and all that, then I feel like that's a natural, <laughs> a natural. That's uh, one of my wife's favorite recommendations. Books mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yep, that's it. Wow. Thank you. Many lives, many masters. All right. Um, Adam, do you have anything for us? Uh, I'm thinking and spinning it the other way. I mean, Jacob's Ladder and even this conversation has gotten like way deeper than, you know, (laughs) Jacob's Ladder takes you down a different direction. So, you know, the palate cleanser du jour uh, is basically uh, binge watching the tick. uh, Oh, wow. It's on on Amazon and that'll, and that will, that'll, that'll definitely do it. And I, you know, I have some, um, some of the people who um, you know were involved in the in the, er, in the original uh, version and even you know executive producing on this one, but I I came into it having you know read the the graphic novel the Ben Edlund uh, graphic novel and kind of everything else, and so I kind of sat and just in, in an effort to sort of pass the time, I was like I'll watch the pilot. I found myself just continuing to sort of watch it, and I and I was sort of vaguely charmed by it, and I thought it was it was really good, and and I have to admit it was uh, it was great fun. It captured a tremendous amount of what's fun about that world, um, and and those characters. I'm sort of interested in seeing where it where it's headed. It was very interesting. So I uh, it's a complete palate cleanser to you know um, all the stuff that we've sort of have been watching, uh, and it uh, it is far from it is far from it's not deep, but it has you know, a certain, um, it has a certain depth when it comes to the world that it is, is describing and is, and is constructing. And, you know, there's a firmament to it and a depth to it, which was surprising. It wasn't serious, but it felt firm enough to be able to support, you know, the story as it was going. And so I, I, I was one of the things that I was like, you know, that actually worked remarkably well. And I found myself... <laughs> Once kind of I got started, I wanted to keep watching it, which is a is a, a refreshing thing to to encounter when you're consuming any kind of medium. Um, and before I knew it, I'd sort of gotten through the entire offering of whatever that season was. And That's so great. Um, it, it was actually it kept my interest. It was a lot of fun, and you know I had to admit it was really good. So uh, I would uh, recommend it. It's on it's on Amazon. Wonderful. I you know you remember a couple of weeks ago I promoted um red oaks which is another amazon series i'm really loving the amazon series that i've gotten into recently so that's um yeah that's fabulous uh okay mine is that was still pretty sublime so we had deep we had sublime and this is banal i i am (laughs) absolutely going to throw you something that is just banal but i have to throw it out there um so last week first week of october was all about Euro trash and I was loving it. This week, I think it's going to be for me, uh, 50s horror. And uh, today I was looking at this movie called Blood of Dracula, not to be confused with Taste the Blood of Dracula, not oh. to be confused with the Andy Warhol movie Blood for Dracula. This movie is oh. Blood of Dracula. Blood of Dracula is not a Dracula movie, it's not even properly a vampire movie. It is, in fact, a 1959 black and white girl gang movie about this gang of girls who are really not 
that criminal, but whatever, who, um, you know, they're tough. And, and this girl gets sent to reform school and she's being kind of recruited into the girl gang. And then this psychiatrist that she's seeing is doing this experiment in altered statesy kind of uh, regression to sort of unlock the hidden aggression or whatever the hell. I don't know why you would do such a thing, but whatever. Um, she is doing oh. this this uh, hypnotic uh, experiment that turns our heroine into a sort of teenage werewolf. And like it a, is... It's 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 actually it's actually almost a rock solid perfect remake. I would presume about a year and a half later of I was a teenage werewolf. It's kind of the same movie, and um, uh, so it's if everything I've just said to you, black and white girl gang 1950s vampire sounds like something you would like. This is precisely what you were picturing. There's it is it is exactly that. So I I totally recommend it. It shows up. I think it's in public domain now. It shows up on Daily Motion. You got to watch Blood of Dracula. So so there we go. Wow. Yes, I brought it all down past Earth, and uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so. Uh, all right, guys. Um, thank you so much for being on. It's been a really fun retrospective, and uh, uh, I, I I hope I get to talk to to everybody again um, uh, really soon. And um, it's okay. If you we're, are... we're planning to poison Drew and and kill his uh, food, so we'll be on again. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and... You know what? We have to say this uh, disclaimer at the end of all the episodes because of Jason, and now I have to throw David in there. No, the rest of us do not advocate poisoning people or tying them up. Or <laughs> wow. You've rubbed off on Well, I, I'm, often, I'm often saying that, that it really, really matters to the show if people, you know, more people listen and people leave reviews. So I would suggest, you know, if you like the show, that you should kidnap your friends and make them listen to the show. No. And everybody points and out that no, no, that's not what <laughs> threaten them the with poisoning. Jason Henderson do not reflect the views of the rest of Castle for. <laughs> but definitely leave leave reviews. We want to we want to hear them. We want to hear from you on the Facebook page, um, uh, and and uh, I I know what's coming next. We are going to be doing Halloween three next, and then oh, yeah. we've had we've had several suggestions, and uh, we're going to talk internally and figure out what uh, what we're going to do after that. But uh, in any event, thank you very much, guys, and I will talk to you all soon. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Bye, guys. Thanks a lot, Bye. guys. Bye. 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 As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.